0: Welcome to the yard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the yard. It is an absolutely Chamber of Commerce quality day here in starkville Mississippi. It, there's not a cloud in the sky. it's uh, I guess it's, let me just take a look here. I think it's in the 70s, maybe a little bit warmer today, but um, kind of cool. Days are getting a little bit longer too. I don't know if you noticed. Baseball season will be here uh, very very soon next week. It says sixty four, a cool crisp sixty four degrees here in Starkville. Well, the high of seventy. I wonder if we could just do this this year round. Being amazing, you kind of like football weather all the time, sunny and cool. I love it, man. Listen, it's also Friday, which means it's probably payday for some of you guys. Hope that you guys have a chance to get out and go do some things and spend some of your hard-earned cash. Maybe, just maybe, you're ready for a new book. Dogpile's doing exceptionally well. It's been out a week. Matter of fact, uh, last Friday's show was right around noon. I got a message that said, hey, books are here. They're offloaded. They're in the warehouse. It has been an absolute whirlwind since then. So I want to give you an update on a couple things. The first and foremost we're going to talk about is uh, online orders. So, about 95% of the online orders went out on Monday. It's in the hands of the U.S. Postal Service. And so, and that's thousands of books. And uh, those went through the Canton Post Office. So, it, you know, may take a day or two, I guess. Uh, Many of you have already received your books and some have already read them. And I understand the frustration for those that maybe haven't. If If I had them, I would personally bring them to you if I had the time and ability to do so. I want you to have your books. Now, I have kind of leaned on some people like, hey, what's going on with this? And so here's, here's the deal. If you, if you pre-ordered, and when I say pre-ordered, if you ordered prior to last Friday and you don't have your book by the end of the weekend, go to the dogpileofthebook.com website and fill out the Contact Us link. There's somebody that's monitoring that there. You know, Back during the pre-order section when you guys wanted updates, nobody was really monitoring that because there wasn't anything to report yet. They're monitoring that. And they can provide you with a tracking number. If for some reason you can't connect with them, hit me up. I'll do my best. But uh, that's the reason there's a website there. There's people that are you know, kind of charged and they're staffed to take care of those things. But I was assured this morning that everything ordered through the website, including up to what was ordered yesterday, Thursday, will be in the mail no later than Saturday. So within 24 hours, if you have bought a book from dogpiledthebook.com, that book's going to be in the mail. And again, we're only talking about a handful, I guess, uh, you know, that, that have kind of lingered on. And uh, some of the multiple orders, like if you ordered three, four, five books, whatever, and many of you did, they had to get some more boxes. There was about a day delay in those things being shipped. They had the boxes. everything's been packaged up. Those are going out today. Some of that's actually going to be mailed out of the Starkville Post Office because they're bringing those those packages with them to Starkville. As I'll be at Bookmart and Cafe from 3 to 6. So the publisher's coming uh, to make sure there's enough inventory here uh, to work through this signing. So I want to open the show with that. I I am very concerned about it because you guys matter to me. I know really it all comes from a great place. You, you, You were excited about the book. So if you pre ordered, it's been shipped. And if you were a multiple and maybe hadn't been shipped, that's going today. But by close of business Saturday, everything that's been ordered through the website will be in the mail. I've been given personal assurances from that from people that I've worked with now for five years. So I know that I can depend on these folks. But, you know, as you can imagine, when you've got that thousands of books going out in the mail, sometimes there's a mistake. And and like we use the, uh, the MailChimp program. So, and this will sound silly to you. You'll say, oh, Stevers, no way. No, no. Sometimes people put the wrong address. You'll say, well, Stevers, no way. No, 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 no way. Way, way, Ted, way, Ted, just like Bill and Ted's Adventure. Yes, way. We've had people put the wrong address. It's a typo. They know what street they live on, but they're typing fast. Whatever they don't check it, they put the shipment in, or perhaps they put the wrong zip code. And so when you put that stuff into MailChimp, of course, it cross-references with the database. And if the address is not correct, it won't print a label. Pretty, pretty advanced technology. Well, then they have to go back and research that and sometimes do some work of their own and then even contact some of you guys to ensure you've, they've got the right address because it's not 100%, right? So that's, that, that's an issue for some people. Uh, what's interesting, too, is uh, we've had a couple people that like have ordered... On Wednesday, and then emailed on Thursday, wanting to know when they're getting their book. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. You know, we got people from September, you know, people that ordered in September because they were so eager to get involved. They're still waiting for a book. So if it's just been a day or two, don't expect me to get too too riled up. You know, there are a lot of people that have been waiting a long time that are very invested in this book, and I want to make sure that everybody gets their books But especially you had know, the people that pre-ordered that that you know, believed in the book long before it was even a reality, and so. I want to address that to you guys personally because you matter to me. I have made posts today on both Twitter and Facebook, kind of sharing some of this stuff too, not in as great a detail. I mean, who's got time to read long Facebook posts, right? Um, But I wanted you to know that everything will be mailed out no later than tomorrow. And uh, the overwhelming majority of the pre-orders went out Monday, Tuesday. So if you hadn't gotten yours yet, give it a couple days but if you don't get it this weekend maybe hit me up uh you know monday and of course if you ordered multiples if you order five six uh, books of course they had to package that properly we don't want to just go grab a you know a shoebox and put those things in there and i have proper packaging so uh, just ask for your patience that i've got a couple of new members to the team this year that really helped out with the distribution of those online orders and so it's there's a learning curve for those folks as well so Again, I just ask for your patience there. And, um, you know, really excited about the reviews that we're getting. We had a great, great, great day yesterday. Uh, let me see. Since we've been together, I was in Meridian. Had the biggest signing I've ever had at Meridian. That's at the Bulldog Shop downtown. Also, I had lunch at Weidman's. And then uh, we went to the three-foot hotel. I think it's called the boxcar upstairs. Went up there. It said open air place. And it is fabulous. If you live in Meridian and you hadn't been, you need to go. Started to go to Harvest Grill. We didn't. But I listen, I can't go to Meridian without going to Weidman's and paying my respects to Shorty and Gloria McWilliams. I, I, I can't. It's just it's just part of who I am, I guess. But every time that I go to Meridian, if I have a meal, one of those meals is going to be at Widman's. It is. And I generally get the bread pudding. I got. I tell you, I got the quesadilla of the day, which is amazing. Like some people, you go places, they have the soup of the day, the sandwich of the day. No, no, not Widman's. You get the quesadilla of the day. I had the blackened shrimp with spinach, and it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So go by there, support those folks. That's a legendary restaurant in Mississippi, and of course, one of Mississippi's greatest players, Shorty McWilliams. Prior to Dak Prescott, Shorty McWilliams was the only vote getter the Heisman Trophy for a Mississippi State football player. Worthy of your respect, say the least. And then um, yesterday had a big day at the library. You know, we, um, you know, we have these library events. They haven't been able to do much the last couple of years, you know, but uh, had a huge signing at the library. It was like, who, who expected this? Thanks to the uh, books were provided by Book Barton Cafe downtown. Love those folks. Last night went to Turnrow, Row, and uh, we actually were next door at the Alluvian. If you have not been in there, that is a really cool vibe. Like they had like a little happy hour experience, and they had me around the corner and you'd come visit and talk. And uh, we also ate there. I think it's Jardina's restaurant. Fabulous. That's one thing about the book tour. I'm eating well for sure. But uh, you know, Shelby and the crew there at Turnrow are just outstanding. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever had a better relationship with Turnrow than I have now. You know, of course, I was just a you know five years ago. I was the first time author and. There's all these people that are upset that I wrote this book that uh, changed a lot of things, uncovering the biggest scandal in the history of Mississippi College sports. And so they were unhappy about it. And here I was basically taking a victory lap in their minds. So they were, they were people that were like being mean to these people that work at bookstores. I mean, give me a break. You were the same people in the 60s burning books and burning records. You know, the, the same spirit of that stupidity is still alive today. But it's been great you know now now i guess because i'm just writing about mississippi state i'm writing you know, happy stuff you know people are more willing to be um, sane shall we say but uh i love the folks at Turnrow, and um you know since shelby and that crew have been in there it has just been tremendous and that's one of the things that i always share with you guys i know it's so convenient to just jump on amazon.com because uh, i do it too you know, it's like I need a, a wide assortment of things. And I don't want to have to go to, you know, 10 different websites to find what I need. I um, Maybe Christmas shopping or school shopping or whatever, and I want to find some things and get it delivered to my house. It's so convenient. But when it comes to books and things like that, let me, let me encourage you, always support the independent bookstores of Mississippi. And if you don't live in Mississippi, support your local bookstore. That is the backbone of our nation's literary history. And what I mean by that is, let, I mean, let's, let's talk about John Grisham for a second. At some point, everybody has read or watched a John Grisham book or movie. John Grisham used to sell his book, the first one, printed self-published the book, *A Time to Kill*, through a company called Hazelden, and you can still find those very poorly constructed books uh, out there for a pretty strong penny. I know some people that still have the books. He had a, a deal at the Starbucks Library, just like I did yesterday. He sold some books, and I know people that have them; they're in good condition. But those books didn't really hold up well. But John Grisham was, you know, a guy from very humble beginnings. Obviously, he was a lawyer, and he was kind of working on some stuff. He wrote this book. And the next thing you know, he's trying to get it in bookstores. So because he was a new author, a self-published author, a guy that was selling books out of the back of his car, people didn't take him seriously. And then the independent bookstores of Mississippi, namely Lemuria Books in Jackson, bought some books, put them on the shelf. Next thing you know, it begins to take off. Double Day Publishing picks it up. Becomes a national bestseller. But that story began in the independent bookstores of Mississippi. So if they didn't exist, do you think Amazon's going to give the next John Grisham an opportunity to peddle their books? No, they're not. They're also not going to get that walk-in traffic. And when you walk in Lamaria's books, there's all these big displays, it's a beautiful store. You do a great job. And John Evans, Mississippi's bookseller, took a chance on John Grisham, an unknown author named John Grisham. And look at what we have today. It's incredible. And speak of Lemuria books, I will be there tomorrow from noon to 2. And then what is it? Uh, excuse me, at noon to 2. And then 2.30 to 4.30 at Persnickety in Madison. They close at 4.30. Originally, they told me 3 to 5. But it's 2.30, 4.30 at Persnickety. And then uh, I'll be at the Y'all Lifestyle store on Tuesday. And we'll uh, preview next week's signings uh, on Monday. But I just want to share with you, number one, to give you an update on where you are on the shipping. And this is better, you know, because like I wake up this morning, I got like five messages. Steve, when should I expect my books? And so there are a lot of people that maybe just haven't reached out. So I just want to make sure that you're aware. Everything is fine. And in the event there is a problem with shipping, let's say the post office loses your book or or your neighbor takes your book or whatever. We'll send you another one. Okay, you don't need, and I know you're eager. Like, I had one guy message me today, and he goes, Hey, Steve, I hate to be disrespectful, but it's like I see you out doing these book signings, and I ordered this book back in September, and I don't have it yet. And first thing I'll tell you is, I'm sorry that that's the case, but uh, you're going to get taken care of. You absolutely will get taken care of. And uh, all those books that I I went and signed those books last uh, weekend, you know, spent the weekend there in Madison County, and we got those books signed for you and and got them shipped out. And, uh, you know, again, thousands of books, they are going to be a, a few things that get a little bit hung up. And so, if unfortunately, if you're one of those people, uh, I'm sorry for that happening, but we're going to get taken care of. You can rest assured we'll get you taken care of. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. They'll take care of you, too. That's what they do. They're in the hospitality business, man. Those guys know how to feed folks. It's a great location, great staff, great food at a great price. I've told you many times before, the portions. Among the most impressive things about the Bulldog Burger Company experience, there are a lot of people out there that are selling you you the same product, just less of it, for the same price. Not the fine folks at Bulldog Burger Company. You're going to get more than what you paid for. If you can complete that full meal at Bulldog Burger Company, my hat is off to you. Because more times than not, I'll eat most of it and then bring the rest home, either have it for lunch or give it to my dogs. They like Bulldog Burger Company too. My German Shepherd Maverick, I think he prefers the Bulldog, though. Like I've done the Mission a couple times, and I've done the Pimentology ad Bacon. He'll eat it. I don't know that he likes it as much as the Bulldog. And maybe that's the way you want to go, too. Maybe he's just not an exotic burger lover like me. But that's a good entry-level burger for you. If you've never been to Bulldog Burger Company, let me encourage you to start with the Bulldog. That's what you're used to. It'll make you happy. It'll get you full. And then the next time you come, say, listen, I think I'm going to try the smokehouse. That's a little bit different. Yeah, it is. It is. That's one of the things I love about Bulldog Burger Company is the variety. You know, sometimes you go sit down somewhere and you think, I don't know what I really have a taste for. You'll find it on the menu at Bulldog Burger Company. Get that great BLT salad, grilled or fried. See, I got it right this time. And have the spring rolls for your appetizer that make you and everybody around you better looking. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will too. Three great locations to serve you. The, the flagship right here University Drive in Stark, Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And, of course, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowwood area. Be, go- be sure to go check them out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. We're going to talk some basketball. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've been really positive all year. I'm going to remain positive, but I will admit to you my confidence is waning about making the NCAA tournament because we, we are we are losing opportunities to get quad one wins. So we're not stacking wins in a resume. And there are people, well, you know, Steve, we beat Missouri. You know, yeah, yeah, Missouri's awful. And we hopefully won't split with those guys. I mean, it's tough to go play up in Columbia. It is. But we're 14-9. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time recapping this ball game, but uh, – yeah, I'm disappointed. I mean, I, I am. I, I didn't expect to win the game against Tennessee, and I said that on the show. So I'm not gonna beat the team or the staff up. Say, well, Steve, you expect us to lose, and then we do, and then you're gonna rail on the team. I guess we're just good enough, you know, to kind of be competitive in these ball games, but um this is a game, you know, we we got off to a rough start. We battled back, we clearly have a little toughness, but the defining segment of this ball game was the final 4 minutes. And I don't know if maybe, you know, us playing from behind took a lot out of us and we just kind of ran out of gas. And maybe we did. I mean, cuz you look up guys, I mean, if you didn't watch the ball game, 16-14 to go in the first half, we're down 14 to 2. But we didn't quit. We didn't quit. And we battled and we battled and we battled. We got down by 10 about halfway through. Next thing you know, we're down 12 again, under 12 minutes. And they kind of nurse that thing along. And next thing you know, Garrison Brooks gets hot. Garrison Brooks makes some plays. D.J. Jeffries makes some plays. And yeah, now we've cut this thing under 10, and you look up there, you know, late in the first half, and, you know, we're within four, right around seven minutes. You start thinking, okay, we've survived this little barrage from them. We got a shot. We cut it down to two, right under six minutes, a Tolu Smith jumper. And then State takes the lead. Think about that. We're down, you know, 14 points, and we battle back, and we have the lead with some time to build. Big three-point basket from Iverson Molinar. You know, he's not a prolific long-distance shooter. It's a big basket there. Anderson Garcia splits a couple free throws for us. We just kind of hang in there, hang in there. It's tied at 31 just before the half. Tennessee goes on a little run there at the end. and next thing you know, it's 35-33, and we had a shot to tie it late, and we missed. But I think at the half, we're all thinking, hey, we're down two, and we have taken their best shot. Maybe we figure some things out here. We're going to be okay. And you know what? Most of the second half, that was the case. It was nip and tuck most of the game in the second half. And you just kept thinking, we just need that defining run to put these guys away to be a signature win in this season to prove to the ncaa tournament selection committee that yes we are worthy of inclusion that we have taken a team that is a no doubt entrant into the ncaa tournament and we have defeated them well it didn't work out quite that way and this is really probably my biggest criticism of the team is late in ball games we disappear in big moments and sometimes I think we get caught up watching the game rather than coaching and playing the game. And I, that appeared to me to be the case against Tennessee. With 4:21 to play, it is a tie game 61-61. We just have to be a point better than them for the next four minutes and 22 seconds. That's what it boils down to. And I'm sure that's a conversation that Ben Howland had with the team. Four minutes to go. We've got to be better than them by one point for the next four minutes. Well, they immediately go up two on basically a you know, point-blank layup there by uh, Kennedy Chandler to go up two. You're thinking, okay, that's fine. We'll trade baskets, would you? Well, then we turn it over. And then Vescovi drills home a three to put them up five. At that point, I thought we might be in a little bit of trouble. But again, we don't quit. Sakil Moore goes down, gets a nice layup. Now we're within three. And then we can't get a stop. Give up, again, a point-blank layup. They run a great offensive set. And, I, and I'm going to say this with, with you guys, and uh, I say this because we're family. You know, coaching wins and loses close ball games. It just does. I know it's so easy to say, well, you know, they got to execute. And that's true. That's true. But the offensive precision that Tennessee had in the final four minutes was ten times better than what we had. And this goes to this, uh, you know, the layup to Ziegler. You know, they run the little post screen there, and then Garrison has to get over and help defense. And then they just dish it down, and it's a wide-open layup. Puts them back up five. We have a chance to go down, and then Iverson turns the basketball over. They miss a layup. We get a rebound. They foul us. We miss both free throws. Both. So here, down five. We have two opportunities to carve into that lead. We turn it over and miss two free throws. They get the rebound. John Fulkerson gets it. One sixteen to go. We're just kind of hanging in here and, you know, playing a little bit of defense. We have two shots at it. Molinar misses. Jeffries misses. They get the rebound. Under a minute to play. They make a couple free throws to put it up seven. and At that point, it became academic. We lose the ballgame, 72-63. And again, let's go back. Right over the four-minute mark, it's tied at 61. 61 points. We scored two points the rest of the basketball game. I don't care who you are or where you're from. Unless you're playing maybe upward-bound basketball, if you only score two points in the final four minutes of a game, you're going to lose. I don't make the rules. That's just how it is. Everybody locks in late. Every possession matters even more. And we blew it. We missed free throws. We turned the basketball over. We took ill-advised shots. The moment got too big for us. And maybe the pressure of this tournament and perhaps Ben Howen's job status is getting to this team. But when you score two points in the final four minutes, you're going to lose. And this is a game, too, especially with a team that's as good as Tennessee. And they're not the best team we've played. They have some ability, they're well coached. But I would venture to say they're not, they're not as athletic as Kentucky. They're not as athletic as Texas Tech. And, I, you know, maybe on par with Arkansas. But it was a winnable game, and we lost. And some would say, well, you know, they were the better team, and they were favorite. Guys, how many excuses are we going to make? Well, you know, we're tired. You know, Iverson had a long test this week. I mean, like, and I'm not the guy. That guy's been incredible. I'm not in any way throwing shade at him. But it's like we want to find a way to explain away these losses, and we're going to explain away ourselves right into the NIT. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter a whole lot what you or I say, but the reality of it is we missed another golden opportunity to get a signature win. You know, look at the numbers here. And, uh, you know, they had four, four scorers in double digits. We had three. Pretty balanced for us. We, you know, our offensive execution just kind of abandoned us late. We actually rebounded the basketball pretty well, too. But, I, you know, Iverson, 16 points. Garrison Brooks, 15. D.J. Jeffries, 13. One of the better games for D.J. You know, of course, he missed a couple of big free throws late. But we've talked about we've been needing him to kind of step it up a little bit. And I thought he was a little bit more aggressive and played really well in the ball game. Had three steals, too. Uh, Tolu Smith, eight points for him. He's still rounding back into good health. I mean, again, you can't expect him to carry the load right now. We just need him to continue to improve and to continue to get back into good health. Rocket Watts has kind of disappeared on us a little bit. I'm curious to know why. You know, there's some games you come out and he's a double-digit scorer. He didn't even score in this game, played eight minutes, took three shots. You know, maybe he's not doing what Ben Howland wants him to do. Anderson Garcia, just a couple of points for us two of five from the free throw line. And that's where Anderson probably needs to improve the most. He plays with good energy. I think he plays good team basketball, but uh, he has difficulty sometimes at the free throw line. And that's something you don't need a coach for. You know, they can teach you mechanics and fundamentals, but then you've got to go put in at reps. Javian Davis just two points to, you know, the bench really contributed next to nothing. Cam Matthews just played 14 minutes and had five personal fouls. And I thought the last one was a little bit uh, cheap, And Cam is our best on-the-ball defender. He's got to learn to play without fouling. Got to have that guy on the floor. As a team, we shoot uh, 50%. Probably don't shoot it enough. And the fact that we only score two points in the final four minutes is probably evidence of that. We get outscored by seven in the second half, and a lot of that came, of course, in the final four minutes of the ballgame. we got to find a way to get it fixed. We're running out of opportunities. What is it, eight games left now, five of them on the road? 14 and 9 on the year, and I and I, I shared with some friends, you know, earlier on. I said I, th- I think we're looking at 17 wins. Oh no no no, we'll we'll find a way to be 500 in the league. I yeah I don't see it. I don't see it. I think we're probably looking at 8 and 10. Maybe we get to 99 if we can get a sweep. Like if we sweep Mizzou, win at South Carolina and beat Vandy, yeah, you're gonna be 500 in the league. Still probably not enough to get you in a tournament, though, unless you, you find a way to knock off somebody like Auburn. That Auburn-Arkansas game was fantastic, wasn't it? it? really was. All right, let's look at what's left for Mississippi State. So we'll be at LSU on, uh, on Saturday. I'm going to preview that game a little, bit, uh, a little bit later in the show. And then we go to Alabama Wednesday, and we're back in the Humphrey Coliseum uh, F- February 18th. That's a Friday. It's a Friday night game, 6 p.m., be a sec network plus game and then we go to mizzou on the sunday so we're going to play those guys two times within three days we'll have a pretty good idea of who they are and what they are it's tough to beat a team back-to-back days like that it is we'll see back-to-back games there, there is a day off to of travel then we go to south carolina we host vanderbilt host auburn and then close out at AM. So, you're down to three home games in Humphrey Coliseum. And, and for those of you that have forgotten, we are 0-5 on the road this year in the SEC. 0-5. Pretty crazy stuff. But nevertheless, um, you know, when I, when I can look at the schedule, I look at this thing and I begin to think, okay, can we win at LSU? Yes. Can we win at Alabama? Probably not. Can we beat Missouri two times in three days? We can. Probably have to. If we split with Mizzou, I honestly think it's probably over. I honestly do. Because I, I don't see us beating Auburn. And I, you, we just can't take a bad loss like Mizzou. But, and that's the thing, too, what we're kind of down to in the season, is like instead of hoping to get a signature or marquee-type win, Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Get ready to roll man and uh, i remember being a kid that was like the biggest highlight for us my grandmother would get us tickets every year and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits we put our boots on have our chaps our vest and we would go up there and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull we were willing to do it yeah for sure guys boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice. Or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand. And it should be yours, too. And if that's not an indicator of mediocrity, I don't know what is. got to get hot. And the thing about it is we've got a schedule that helps us if we can just find a way to win, you know, one or two of these other ball games that maybe we're not expected to win. LSU hadn't played well, and we're going to talk about that later in the show. But, you know, we've talked about this defining stretch. We had a five-game stretch coming up, beginning with the home date with South Carolina. And I shared with you guys then, I said there's a possibility of us going one and four. We're one and two now. You got to get one of these next two. You have to get one of these next two, and then sweep Missouri. Then all of a sudden, you look at that and say, okay, well, you've added three wins. You know, now, all of a sudden, you got three more wins on the SEC side. That gives you eight. And you still got those dates with South Carolina and Vandy left. And you start thinking, okay, then you could conceivably put together a winning record in the conference. It's not inconceivable. Don't know how probable it is, but it's not inconceivable. And, you know, Ben, ben Howen has done a good job coaching down the stretch late in the year uh, at Mississippi State in a regular season. And my hope is we'll find a way to make that happen. But, uh, again, not happy with the result. I'm not going to sit here and give you the moral victory things. I don't believe in any of that, especially when you're playing to get in the NCAA tournament. I, I'm going to focus on what the committee's focused on, and that's wins and losses. And, again, we don't have a signature win. Let's turn now our attention to the top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E, Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And you know what? Before we get to that, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to give, I'm going to, let's go ahead and talk women's basketball because I, I, want to, I want to spend just a couple minutes on the women's basketball side. I thought we would beat Florida. I did. And maybe that's me being a little bit of a homer. But in many respects, I've, I've kind of bought in, you know, with the toughness of these ladies. And, uh, you know, 14-8, and 5-5, five and five, and Charlie Crean had us, in, uh, had us in the tournament. And you lose that game to Florida. We were down, made a big run late, got within a couple, didn't work out. You lose 73-64. Got a big game coming up in Humphrey Coliseum this Sunday against Ole Miss. If you're in the area, please come out and go to that ball game. Should be a nice atmosphere. Now, a lot of people have said, Steve, I think we should give Doug Novak a job. Let me offer you my thoughts on this. Doug Novak has done a tremendous job for Mississippi State. Under the circumstances, I don't know how anybody could argue against. Now, there are some people out there saying, hey, well, let's just promote him. Let me tell you why that's not a good idea. And this is not a shot at Doug Novak. In order for us to compete at the level that we want to, You need to have a staff, a cohesive staff that has connections in the recruiting circles that we're going to require to bring in big-time players. Doug doesn't have those. Has Doug done a great job for Mississippi State? Yes, he does. We say, well, Steve, he can develop them. Well, by the time he does, we're likely going to be so talent deficient, we're not going to be competitive. And so, in my opinion, the best thing for Mississippi State women's basketball is you go out and hire a sitting head coach that brings a staff with them, that has connections in AAU basketball, that has connections in our recruiting footprint. You bring them in and you just let them go to work. It's a plug-and-play type situation. You don't want to bring somebody in and then have them you know, learn on the job. We talk about, well, you know, it was great. We want to get back to the NCAA tournament. Well, this is, this is, in my opinion, this is the way you do it. You go get somebody that knows the women's college basketball landscape and you hire them and then let them go run the program. And I get it. You know, it's like sometimes, I guess in some ways, we all kind of see a little bit of ourselves in Doug Novak. It's like, oh, he got put in here and it's an impossible situation. And it is a great story. But in my mind, the story ends once the season ends. And, again, that's not a shot at Doug Novak. The guy's a great guy. He's done a great job for Mississippi State. But I don't think that he knows the women's game and is connected enough in the women's basketball recruiting scene to move the program forward. That's not a criticism. It's just kind of how it is. I mean, he has made his living primarily throughout his career on the men's side coaching offense. It was an interesting hire when we hired him and then looking back in hindsight, it it worked out really well for us. But we talked so much about, you know, we want to move forward. We want to advance athletic department. We want to advance women's basketball program. And you know what? Years and years ago, it would have been the easy move. Let's just, hey, let's just hang on to Doug Novak. Because, you know, fans are like, oh, I like the guy. He's doing this. But we have to look at the bigger picture. We have to look at the program not a team kind of going back to that big Schaefer opening press conference we're here to build a program not to build a team not to have you know you make a big run and then you make a tournament and you're on this roller coaster going up and down and so I know it's a fun story and I know some people have uh, have written the story and uh, we've talked about it early in the year I was like you know hey this Doing a good job, but it's kind of hanging there with them. But when you take a step back, when you when you get out of the emotion of a ball game, and you begin to look down the road, what is best long term? Well, what's best long term is for us to go out and get a sitting basketball coach, a sitting established staff, and then bring them here and allow them to run our program. That's what's best. I mean, Doug basically has kind of a shoestring staff put together, and, and listen, every one of those people putting. A tremendous effort together for your student-athletes and for your fans but I think everybody understands many of these people are doing jobs they didn't come here to do and they're doing the best they can and I respect it I know you guys do as well but it's not sustainable it's not sustainable and so you got to go out and you got to get some people that have some experience people that know the ropes And more importantly, it's just kind of like in life, you know, people, when I was a kid, everybody said, oh, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's true to a certain respect. Let me tell you this. The second part of that that I've learned in life is it's not just who you know, it's who knows you. That's really important in recruiting. Because you're going to have a million coaches out there that are, you know, contacting these prospects. And it helps that maybe their AAU coach or their high school coach knows you. It's like, oh, yeah, I've known this coach. for several years they recruited your teammate they recruited my friend here they're honorable people they'll treat you right but when you have somebody brand new coming in it's like you don't have a relationship And, and recruiting is all about relationships and so we just can't have somebody running our program much less have a staff full of people that don't have the recruiting relationships necessary to advance mississippi state women's college basketball so there you go and again That's in no way a criticism of Doug Novak or the job that he has done here at Mississippi State. There are a lot of people that uh, would have said, you know what, hey, I can't do this, and could have easily just mailed it in. He didn't do that. Got a lot of respect for the guy. Really do. Wish him the best in his next stop. All right, now let's get back to the top ten list. Close at Blair.com. You guys know Blair. If you don't, you should. Blair is like freakishly tall, too. Like I like sometimes I just want to ask Blair. I'm going to have lunch with Blair tomorrow. But sometimes I'm, I'm maybe I'll ask him, yeah, Blair, why didn't why didn't you play Division One football? You know, or you know, be a Navy SEAL commander or something like that. You know, why weren't you part of the uh, SEAL Team Six? I mean, you know, it's like I, I see people like that. And I just think you know, Blair's guy's are an impressive athlete. If we're getting ready to pick basketball teams, I'm picking Blair. And so here's the thing too: you want him on your team whether it's a pickup basketball game, church league softball team, whatever, you want Blair on your team. Many people go through this mortgage process kind of on their own. They just kind of hope for the best. Get a mortgage professional working for you. That's Blair Chandler. Visit him at closewithblair.com at C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, and let him guide you through this process. It can be very complicated, it can be very overwhelming, because they have to have everything, right? They gotta have like, what, two years worth of pay stubs or tax returns, a note from your mom, a pint of blood, a stick of butter. I mean, it's like, there's, it, they ask for everything. And once your loan gets to underwriting, sometimes I think it's like, it's almost like a, uh, it's like a test of will. It's like the underwriter's like, well, uh, let's get another comp on the appraisal, and then let's see, you know, what did he make on his ACT on the math section? You know, do you ever have a parking ticket? You know, it's like that kind of stuff. And it gets to be, it seems so ridiculous, and I am speaking kind of, you know, hyperbole here. But it's good to have somebody that knows the ropes that can help you through that. Give Blair a call today. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. Not an office number. Not his uh, assistant's number. I'm going to give you his number. You can text or call him today on this number, 601 500 601-500-2344. And here's the deal. If you mentioned to Blair, you heard about it on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage closed. It'd be nice to save some money every now and again. Blair's prepared to do it because he wants your business. A lot of people out there want you to spend your money with them. They do. Blair's going to get you closed. 21 years in the industry, top 1% in the country, works for Fairway Mortgage, recently named number one and customer experience so you got the top guy with the top company doing a top job for you again that's blair chandler at close with Blair.com. okay roy reminded me that about half a dozen of you have said hey how about top 10 super bowl halftime performances and we decided you know what hey now is a perfect time to do it roy being the great friend that he is says hey hey you know it's super bowl weekend Let's go ahead and knock that off our list. So we're going to do that today. Top 10 Super Bowl halftime show uh, performances. Now, obviously, we don't have the live versions to, to share with you on our Spotify list. So I picked a song that was on most of these set lists. A couple of them, I, d- I just picked another song because I wanted to do that. But, um, but so here they are. And uh, some of these are top 10 for different reasons than others. Some of them are more memorable to me, not because of the musical performance, because something stupid happened. And you probably know where I'm going with this. Number 10 is uh, Katy Perry. And I went with the song Dark Horse. But what I remember, and you you know as well as I do, the best thing about that performance was, number one, Lenny Kravitz. Anytime that we can work Lenny Kravitz into a live performance, it's a great thing. It really is. But it was that stupid shark, Right, the shark was like off off balance, and you know, and, and then that became the land shark thing, and and then to make it even more profound, Katy Perry went and did the uh, the game day pick 'em thing, and she has nothing to do with Ole Miss, which is it's so silly, it's so on brand for Ole Miss. Rather than get somebody that has a connection to us, let's go get somebody that's a friend of a friend, and let's pretend that that person's connected to us. Really, really, really stupid, and really, really, really Ole Miss. Um, So, yeah, number 10, and there was the old Miss Landshark up there dancing off balance, off rhythm. It was great. Absolutely great. Absolutely great. Number nine on the list, the U2 halftime show. And uh, I went with Where the Streets Have No Name, and that was part of the set list. They opened with Beautiful Day. And the light show was phenomenal. You can go find that on YouTube. But here's the thing that I remember about that halftime show performance. Uh, I'm a big Bono fan. I think he's one of the coolest uh, frontmen of all time. But this was the first Super Bowl post-9-11. And he reveals that he had an American flag shirt on. And, uh, you know, we were all still kind of healing as a nation. And there were so many of our allies around the world that, you know, were very sympathetic to the things that we had gone through and the things that we were about to go through. And it was a pretty special moment. It really was. And, uh, of course, uh, Bono and those guys are from across the pond. And, uh, you know, to them were the Yanks, right? Uh, so, yeah, I remember that, and I appreciate that. <clears throat> number eight, Justin Timberlake. And uh, he actually had to kind of work his way back into the good graces. And um, we'll talk about that one on number seven. But number eight is Justin Timberlake. You know, and uh, it was kind of a disappointing performance in some respects because he didn't do a lot of the hits. You know, he was, like, promoting the new album, I think one of the coolest tracks that JT did on the solo side is Suit and Tie. And so I went with that one today. I don't know if he sang that song, and I can't remember. But uh, Justin Timberlake is uh, one of the most electrifying performers in pop music today and has been for the better part of 20 years. He was also part of our number seven one. Now, this number seven show, people remember it because of a wardrobe malfunction, Right? And there was all these rumors that Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake, were dating at the time, and, um, you know, he pulls on her blouse and exposes her breast, and people say it was a wardrobe malfunction. I'm not buying that, and you shouldn't either. Because, you know, the lyrics that he sang right before he had the the boob slip? I'll have you naked by the end of the song, right? It It was all so contrived and put together. But the show itself, and that's the thing, too, we remember it because of the the quote wardrobe malfunction. I don't. I'm, you're not fooling me, Justin. Um, but what's insane is on that that stage, you had P Diddy, and then Nelly, and then Kid Rock, and then Justin Timberlake. It was like it was an all star cast. And then after this show, is when the Super Bowl people got really serious. No, we're not going to do these kind of things anymore. It's gotten too out of hand. These shows are inappropriate. And so they started changing it, and it started getting more boring and more boring and more boring. I'm, I'm eager to see what Dr. Dre and Eminem and Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige and, and those guys do, and I guess Kendrick Lamar is with them. Um, that'll be interesting. But the number seven one with Janet Jackson, that kind of changed everything. And you know, remember, uh, Kid Rock comes out there with an American flag poncho on. All right, number six, the Rolling Stones. This was kind of like, the step in another direction i guess i had bruce springsteen then the stones like well we know these guys are not going to go out there and have a wardrobe malfunction um at least you hope not i went with start me up that was also part of the of the uh of the show rolling stones been doing it my whole life man and still doing it great dave murray went and saw him recently there in, in charlotte and uh was very impressed with the quality of uh, of their musicianship even at this advanced age all right number five on your list and um there were a lot. This was the Colin Kaepernick year, where a lot of people didn't want to do the halftime show. Uh, Maroon Five did it. They opened with "Harder to Breathe." We've had that song on the on the show before on the top ten list. But you also had uh, "Big Boy" from Outcast, and there were a couple other people involved too. But uh, it was a good show. And uh, yeah, Maroon Five, kind of a safe pick in many respects. They're very rock radio friendly. Uh, number four, and this happened a couple of years ago, and um, I guess back actually a couple years ago almost 10 years ago now but you know Bruno Mars did it and I thought this was a really solid step in the right direction uh Locked Out of Heaven is a song for number 4 Bruno Mars is uh, Locked Out of Heaven they also had the Red Hot Chili Peppers join him on stage and guys Bruno Mars is a musical genius he can play a handful of instruments he has this throwback vibe to everything he does people talk about staying in your lane he has his own lane i have a tremendous amount of respect for Bruno Mars And I thought that his halftime performance is one of the better ones of the last decade. Going back 21 years, Aerosmith with NSYNC and Britney Spears. We're going to go with Walk This Way on this one. I thought it was great. It was kind of like a generational thing where it appealed to the classic rockers and then the boy band teen crowd. And, of course, anytime Britney Spears is involved in that kind of stuff, people are going to pay attention and I submit to you at this point that nobody in the history of the world has ever worn an Aerosmith concert shirt better than Britney Spears did on that day. Uh, number two is Michael Jackson. And uh, for those of you that weren't alive to see Michael Jackson in his heyday, uh, this is you know a little bit after the, uh, the Billie Jean stuff, obviously, that, uh, that was so huge back in 84. You know, Michael Jackson was the biggest superstar on the planet for years and years and years, And when Mike did the halftime show in 1993, he was still—it was still such a big thrill to see Michael Jackson, even on television. You know, back we didn't have YouTube back then; we couldn't just pull it up whenever we wanted to. So when you saw a superstar like Michael Jackson, people tuned in to watch because you couldn't catch it later. You couldn't DVR. It may be if you were smart enough to program your VCR, you could capture it. But it was amazing to see something like that happen live. So we went with the song "Jam." I think it's an underappreciated Michael Jackson classic. You know, the video with Michael Jordan is pretty cool, too. But uh, Jam, by Michael Jackson, you're number two. The greatest halftime show performance in the history of the Super Bowl. I think that most people would agree with this. It's Prince. A musical genius that we lost far too soon. A guy that did it his own way. And was unapologetically himself a tremendous guitarist, an amazing songwriter, an electrifying performer. There are a lot of people that are kind of studio performers that can't pull it off live. I think Prince is even better live. And and let me tell you this, for you young bucks out there that you think you're so dadgum cool, and maybe you are cool, but you'll never be as cool as Prince was in the movie Purple Rain, singing The Beautiful Ones and pointing at Morris Day and asking Apollonia, do you want him or do you want me? Because I want you the greatest, absolute greatest. And a lot of people say, well, you know, Michael Jackson's the king of pop. Yeah, it may be true, but I just saw Prince at a different level. I think Prince was um, an incredible performer. So there you go. You can find that, all those performances available on YouTube. That's the top 10 Super Bowl halftime show performances brought to you by our friend Blair Chandler with ClothesWithBlair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Dot net uh standing man miss kathy brown lovely talented Susie, the whole crew there will treat you like family because in their minds you are family matter of fact i'm running by there today gotta sign a book for a former diamond dog how about that a lot of that going on too i love those guys at campus Bookmart. uh they are what hometown service is all about they will take care of you. They'll take care of your family. If you're looking for the latest in Mississippi State merchandise, you'll find no better selection than at Campus Bookmart. And if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50 absolutely incomplete. All right, Mississippi State men will travel to Baton Rouge. I hope they go by Mike Anderson's or uh, Lucien Lanyev down there and have a quality meal before the ball game. Eat for us, uh, LSU. Rather interesting year for them. Seventeen and seven overall, five and six in the SEC. Uh, they won earlier this week, snapping a, a, uh, a losing streak. Been a very good home team, eleven and two, which is what you'd expect in this conference. Four and zero on a neutral floor, two and five on the road. Got off to a pretty good start. They blew out UL Monroe, 101-39, and a blowout of Texas State. They blow out Liberty. They blow out McNeese. They blow out Belmont. And everybody's thinking, hey, these guys are legit. Will Wade, the American gangster, going to absolutely destroy the SEC. They play Penn State down in Niceville, Florida, as part of the Emerald Coast Classic. They win that event, taking down Penn State and Wake Forest. Went to overtime with Penn State and beat Wake Forest pretty handily. They get Ohio back at the PMAC. They drill those guys. Take down Georgia Tech. Take down Northwestern State. Take down Louisiana Tech. Blow out Lipscomb. At this point, the Tigers are ranked moving up. And it's like you look at these guys and it's like, man, they've got off to such a great start in a non-conference. They go undefeated in non-conference play. They open up at Auburn and Auburn gets them really good. This was a battle of top 20 teams, number 11 versus number 16. Auburn wins 70 to 55. The next ball game, they get the Wildcats of Kentucky down in the p They knock those guys off 65 to 60. They beat Tennessee, who just recently defeated us 79-67. They go to Florida, beat those guys 64-58. They lose in Baton Rouge to Arkansas. Big win for the Razorbacks at the time, 65-58. Then they lose at Alabama, 70-67. And again, these games are all very competitive. They go to Knoxville. Same volunteers that just beat us, and the Vols take care of them, 64-50. So that put the Tigers at a three-game losing streak. Uh, they bounce back, take care of Texas A&M at the PMAC, 70-64. Travel down to TCU, a non-ranked TCU Hornfrog Frog Club knocks them off 77-68. Ole Miss then marches into Baton Rouge and beats their pretend rivals 76-72. Then LSU loses at Vandy 75-66. And again, a three-game losing streak. And you start putting that together and you realize after that, that non-conference slate that was so great, they lose six of seven games. And everybody began to think, okay, these guys are beginning to fade a little bit. They bounced back to beat A&M and College Station 76-68 to kind of stop the snide there a little bit. Now they're headed our way. Excuse me, we're headed their way. And so that kind of brings you up to date, but it has not been the best of times the last month or so for LSU basketball. They're not the contender that many people thought. That said, it's a very good LSU team. Very good LSU team, very athletic. Very tough place to play. The Maravich Assembly Center. Richard Williams had a tremendous amount of respect uh, in that building. And I remember going to many of those games. And uh, there were times that, uh, you know, the South Louisiana Bulldogs kind of took over that arena. I want to tell you guys something else, too. <laughs> You're going to laugh about this. And um, I, I don't know that many of you know this story that involves me. And I'm going to share it with you before I get into their their numbers. So maybe you guys remember in the early 2000s, LSU had a very, very, very slippery, undersized guard by the name of Daryl Mitchell out of New Iberia, Louisiana. He's listed at 5'11". I don't think that's correct. But nevertheless, he was a great college basketball player. Great. Played overseas for the better part of two decades. But we're playing down there at LSU, and um, yeah, they were better than us. They were. Uh, we made a game of it, but in the middle of this game, something happened that involved me. You're thinking, well, Steve, what'd you do? Well, I'm about to tell you. So at that time, Daryl Mitchell had a very very impressive free throw shooting streak. I don't know how many he made in a row, but there was some talk that he might you know, set the SEC record. Um, I don't know what, what it ended up being, but he did not break the record. And I'd like to say that I have something to, to do with that. And you're wondering, well, Steve, did you throw something? No, no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. I'm out there with Annie and my daughter Audrey, and we're just like three maroon corks floating in a purple and gold sea. man. We're out there just supporting the dogs, just back and forth. Next thing you know, Daryl Mitchell gets fouled. He steps to the line, and a hush comes over the crowd at the the Maravich Assembly Center. Daryl Mitchell takes two or three dribbles, pulls the ball up, And right at the apex of his shot, just before he released it, your good friend and host yelled out, overrated, and he missed the free throw. And everybody in that place was looking at me. They were angry. They were mad. Daryl Mitchell shook his head. LSU security people looking Now I've got every right to do that, right? I mean, they're sitting there chanting all crazy stuff when our kids are shooting free throws. But I wasn't going to respect their silence. I don't, I've don't. i got the right to remain solid myself. I don't have to exercise that when your player is shooting a free throw. So everybody was mad. Everybody's looking at me. Oh, you better not do that again. So he dribbles up and he gets ready to shoot again. I do the same thing. Overrated. He misses again. Now everybody's really mad. And I turned to this LSU guy. It was giving me grief. I said, now he's got a new streak. He's missed two in a row. So as the game kind of got away from us, we thought we'd slip out and leave, and there were a handful of LSU guys that followed me out that were ready to fight in the concourse. I'm there with my kids, right? You know, they're ready to fight me. Security had to intervene. We leave. We lost the ball game. But on that day, your good friend and host preserved the SEC free throw shooting record by distracting Daryl Mitchell as he stepped to the line. A little, little SEC trivia you probably didn't know, but there you go. I won't be in attendance this week um, against LSU, and uh, they may need me, uh, but I I won't be there. But let's look inside the numbers at LSU. I like this LSU team when I saw them play early in the year. I haven't seen them play as much as of late. But uh, this is a team, obviously, Will Wade has recruited very well, or he wouldn't have been on an FBI wiretap. But, um, you know, kind of all that said, uh, let's go through these numbers and kind of take a look at what LSU is doing. Uh, as a team, the LSU Tigers averaging 72.7 points per game. Good chance this game is in the 60s. They're they they're allowing 61 points a game. I suspect this will be a tight game in the 60s. They're shooting it pretty well, probably not as, as well as they'd like, just 44%. Opponents shooting 37%. Will Wade's teams, to their credit, have always been really good defending teams. They're going to get out and make you – run your sets and win some individual matchups. Doesn't always work out the way we'd hoped. But uh, this is a team that's going to force you to take contested shots. LSU shooting just 33.1%, making 6.6 three-pointers per game. But here's what's interesting. People that play LSU because they're kind of content to give you the perimeter game, LSU opponents have jacked up 631 three-point attempts. LSU just 481. But they're shooting 28.2%. But they're making more per game. The difference is we don't shoot a lot of threes. But there may be some opportunities for Garrison Brooks, maybe Iverson Molinar, Shaquille Moore. And that's, State needs Shaquille Moore to kind of have one of those big breakout games. He's been a little bit quiet as of late. This is a chance for him perhaps uh, to make some noise from beyond the arc for for us. LSU pretty good at uh, free throw shooting 71% as a team. Opponents shooting uh, 63%. They're averaging uh, just over a point differential. Rebounding has been interesting for them. They're not a great rebounding team. They're a good rebounding team. But, you know, when you shoot it like they do at times, there's not as many offensive rebounds out there. They have a plus 3.9 differential in rebounding, pulling down 38.9 rebounds a game, allowing 35. Assist, handing out 12.4 per game and allowing 11.2. It's a team that shares a basketball. Probably not much as, as good as Tennessee – or Texas Tech. I don't know they're quite as well-rounded, but they will get after you on the defensive end. Turnovers, just 361 on a year, averaging 15 per game, forcing 17.8. And again, that goes back to that whole defensive mentality that they have. They're going to get out and defend. 266 steals for the Tigers, allow just 169. That's a 4.1 differential in favor of LSU. 108 blocks, not a whole lot, allowed 87. Shot selection is going to be big against these guys, to say the least. We can't go up there and take bad shots. we got to get out there and make them play defense. Now, looking at these scoring numbers for them, it is uh, rather interesting to see how it all unfolds You know, with these guys. They, they are a team that has a lot of guys out here to get out here and play. Uh, Eason averaging 16.3 points per game. Darius Days, 13.1. Brandon Murray, 10.22. Eric Gaines, just over 10. And Xavier Pinson, just under 10. So basically, uh, five players that play a lot of minutes that are averaging double digits are right at double digits. And so in that respect, they're pretty well-rounded. The the bench maybe not making the contribution that Tennessee is, but this is a team that can score from all spots on the floor. Going to have to get out there and play well. Going to have to get out there and make some things happen. Uh, Looking at rebounding, leading rebounder on the team, Darius Days, 179 rebounds, pulling down 7.78 boards per game. Uh, Tari Eason, 160 boards, 6.96, right at seven a game. Uh, Efton Reed, five a game. You know, so everybody is getting on the glass and kind of making some things happen. Looking at these uh, Eric Gaines numbers, too, this is a guy that contributes basically in every facet. Ten points a game. Will get out and rebound a little bit. 81 assists, which leads a team. Also has the propensity to turn the basketball over. 81 assists to 77 turnovers. That's interesting, right? How often do you see that? Uh, just 25 blocks for uh, Eason, which leads a team, and then Reed with 21. Uh, That's a guy, too, obviously, that uh, is doing some things for them down there in the post. But, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, you know, we're going to have to play. Well, I see this as a pretty even-handed game, and I think they have kind of lost their way a little bit as of late. We're going to get their best shot, though. They're going to come out. They understand they're bowing to get in the tournament, too. They can't afford to take another loss. This is a big opportunity for Mississippi State. Do I expect to win the game? No, I don't. Do I believe we can win it? Yes, I do. I think this will be a game. We're going to find out if we learned anything from the Tennessee game. Can we go out there and execute late in ballgames? I wrote about this after we lose to Tennessee. We had the same issue against Arkansas late. We had the same issue against Florida late in that overtime period. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, I think that's right. Kentucky. Kentucky, excuse me. Uh, But it has been one of those things that has kind of reared its ugly head every now and again. We have this offensive malaise at times when we get out there late in games, and it's almost like sometimes we just kind of expect Iverson Molinar to take over, and then we push other guys to be more aggressive and they take some ill advised shots. DJ Jeffreys is a guy that's done some of that. You know, my hope is, you know, as Tolu continues to kind of come back and get in good health, and I do think that he is in uh, reasonably good health because Ben Howland wouldn't put him back out there if he wasn't. Iverson's got to be a guy that drives and penetrates and then finds those guys underneath for the easy basket. We know that he is our best shooter. There's no doubt he's one of the most prolific scorers in the country. Uh, But the reality of it is we're going to have to play team basketball to win some of these games because, again, LSU is a team that really defends exceptionally well. So be mindful of that. That's going to be an important ball game for both teams. I expect it to be Very, very, very highly competitive game. That's going to be a 7 p.m. tip Saturday. 7 p.m. from the PMAC. If you're in the area, the Bulldogs would love to have you come out and support them. That'll be an ESPN2 broadcast. So you won't have to go look for it on your app if you have ESPN on your television. Now, the Wednesday game against Alabama will also either be an ESPN2 or ESPNU, so you'll get a chance to watch it on one of the networks. So if you can't make those trips, you got a good chance to see the Bulldogs – Uh, on tv here the next two ball games and these are huge huge ball games i firmly believe you lose these next two you have really put yourself in a situation that uh, short of winning the sec tournament it's not going to happen and here's what i know is going to happen no matter the outcome of these ball games you know we're going to get down here in the easier part of the schedule and let's say we you know, we, let's, let's say we sweep Mizzou, you beat South Carolina, you beat Vandy, and all of a sudden you got a four-game winning streak. You can possibly can play your way back onto the bubble. And let's say you're competitive against Auburn and then win in College Station. Maybe you need a win in the SEC tournament, but it's still conceivable. I still believe this team is talented enough to make the NCAA tournament. I still believe we will. I am not as confident as I was two weeks ago. And it's not just because of the fact that we drop some ball games; it's kind of how we drop some ball games. Uh, so we can't keep having these recurring issues on the offensive end. Uh, as, a, as a good friend of mine pointed out too, it hasn't just been offensively. One of the things that we do, we don't get back in transition defense. We'll get down sometimes there in, in half court, and uh, we end up taking perhaps an ill by a shot, or we take a good shot and don't finish. And then for some reason, our guards don't always get back in transition and we give up an easy basket. That happened against Tennessee and against Arkansas. You know, in big moments when we have a chance to tie or to cut into a lead, next thing you know, we're jacking up a shot. And then rather than narrowing the gap, we allow it to widen because of the fact that we don't get back uh, and play transition defense. And and that's one of the things you learn in the early stages of your basketball development. You can't give up the Snowbird. You just can't do it. And we do it with, with – uh, I won't say great regularity, but we do it enough that it's an irritation. And so you got to be able to get back. you got to be able to get back and make people set up a half-court set and give yourselves a chance uh, to play some defense. So uh, that's kind of how I see the men's side. Let's look at the women's side. You know, the women will be uh, hosting Ole Miss. I know many of you are eagerly anticipating this game. This is a huge game uh, for the women's side, for Doug Novak, and for this fan base too. I mean, you know, we lose to them for the first time. Uh, in several years earlier this year. And the game was not really competitive. Ole Miss dominated that game from start to finish. They deserved to win. They were the better team. They played better. The referees didn't cheat us. The umpires weren't against us. The commentators were not biased in their favor. They were simply better. Uh, that's just the reality of life. It's a much different deal this go around. We're at our place. We don't have, um, you know, Danae, of course, if she's out for the year, wish the best for her. Uh, but this women's team from Ole Miss still playing pretty well. I think that's one of the things you look at, and uh, a lot of people when they hired Coach Joe, people wondered, well, you know, we'll see. And you know, we continue to dominate, but they were, they were, they had a different edge to them. They did. They're playing better basketball under her. They've recruited really well. Uh, I venture to say they've recruited better than us the last couple of years, and you're seeing it on the floor. Uh, they're 18 and 5 overall, 6 and 5 in the conference. Seven and one on the road—that is a remarkable statistic. That's the difference between being a good team and a great team in a competitive league like the Southeastern Conference. Seven and one away from the Pavilion. Did you ever think you'd see? Oh, well, they—they've they've won more, lost more games at home than they have on the road, and then they're three and zero on neutral floor. So away from their home arena, they're ten and one. I don't know if you expected to read that or hear that when you came in here today. But that is the reality of life. Now, since they have played us, they go to a and and win 80-63. They go to Kentucky and win 63-54. They go to South Carolina and lose. And that's, there's no shame in that. Uh, they got beat by 29, though. Uh, <laughs> that was no fun. Then they lose to Georgia and Oxford. And you got to wonder, too, if perhaps South Carolina didn't beat them twice. No disrespect to Georgia. But you wonder if there wasn't a little bit of hangover from getting beat by nearly 30 points. On Thursday, and then having to go uh, play a ranked team like Georgia on Sunday. Then they go to Missouri and win, and then, then they lose in Oxford on Monday, 68 64 to LSU. Uh, so that's kind of where we are with those, uh, those ladies. So they're going to come in here, and again, looking to win. And Coach Yo said it in her post game. She basically called Mississippi State out. And so we expect to do the same thing when we go to Starkville. And she may have even called us Starkville. And if you talk to her long enough, she might even call him Dan Mullins and Scott Strickland. Uh, so the reality of it is is we are the measuring stick for them in many respects, and right now we're not measuring up. They will come in here looking to embarrass us and to make a statement, uh, to kind of sway uh, recruits in-state in their direction, and that's how the game is played. When you get a chance to make a statement against your rival, you have to do it. And I don't know that a lot of our our – Coaches have fully appreciated that when they first got here, but it's clear that she gets it. She understands uh, what this game means to their fan base because, again, they hadn't won in years and years and years. That's a nice feather in her cap to say, hey, you know, Mississippi State was at a national level, and while they're going in the opposite direction, we're trending upwards, and to demonstrate that, we've got to win over them for the first time in forever. So uh, give them credit for that. That's as simple as I can say it. They're just – they were just simply better than us. Uh, they, again – pretty balanced scoring, Uh, Shakira Austin leading the show at 14.3 points per game, Madison Scott uh, with 10.7. And then after that, it's just kind of a by-committee approach. Angel Baker, 9.8 points a game, Lashawn Monk with 8.6. So this is a team that can get out and score some points. Uh, This is a team, obviously, that uh, if you're not careful, will run it up on you pretty quick. Uh, They're outscoring their opponents by right at 14 points per game. Not as many blowouts as of late, but they uh, again playing really well. So we're going to have to bring perhaps our best effort of the year uh, to win this ball game. And uh, again, that is uh, that's you know a tip of the cap to Coach Yo and her staff. They've really kind of flipped the script on us, and some of that's been with our help, right? But would you trade with them right now? I wouldn't trade with them two years ago, and last year, let's be honest, uh, the loss in Oxford last year was avoided. Uh, due to the weather, you know we could we didn't go up there and play that game, and I think you know when we had we were way ahead of them in the game here in Starkville, and then they made a big run late to make that thing more competitive, and then we were going to get ready to go play to Ox, play at Oxford, we were expecting to lose the game, and then the game gets gets canceled, and so all we did was just kind of delay the inevitable that at some point Ole Miss was going to beat us. They have I know Victoria Vivians and that crew never lost to those ladies, but um, it's a different day and time, so. This is a game that means a lot to both teams and both fan bases. And there are a lot of people that didn't care about women's basketball a few years ago in Oxford that care a lot more about it now. And that's not to say that um, that's unique you know, to Ole Miss. Everybody uh, supports a winner. But we got to find a way to win this basketball game. And, again, not only because it's Ole Miss, but because this would be a really major resume-building opportunity. This would be a really good chance. And then I think State has a chance you know, to kind of close out you know, the stretch with a couple of W's here and there and salvage something from this season that many people had given up on before it even began. Uh, I remember, just like yesterday, the news that Nikki mccray pinson was stepping aside for some personal issues. And then at that point, you're like, well, this is, you know, why even play a season? And it's been a tribute to those ladies and to Doug Novak and the assistant coaches that are involved with coaching that uh, they did not give up on the year and uh, have a chance uh, to post a winning season and possibly get in the NCAA tournament. They could take a big step towards both of those goals uh, by earning a win this Sunday. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, now I would move to Portico. It's a great place to live. 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus, and it's on the quiet side of campus. That's right. You take the turnoff 82 on a 12, and you take the first Right. That's Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stop. Boom, there's Portico. Go by and check it out. Next time you're in town, allow yourself a little time to go through and just look, say, hey, it's really nice out here. And it really is close to campus. And it really is the quiet side of campus. Maybe this is where we should live. Maybe it's where we should have a retirement home. Maybe it's our ballgame weekend retreat. Whatever your needs are, you can find them and have them met there at Portico. Brooks Bryan, our friend, former Diamond Dog, one of my favorite former Diamond Dogs, and uh, it's been my honor to, uh, to call him a friend the last few years. Had a chance to watch him play at the college regional out of College Station. And uh, one of my fondest memories made that trip by myself. I was living in Natchez, Louisiana, listening to the radio. We win, make it to the regional final, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to drive over there and watch us play. And I did, and we won and went to Omaha. And uh, the next year, then we beat Washington and went to Omaha. Pretty impressive. Brooks a part of those great teams. If you need more information about Portico, and I'm sure you do, you owe it to yourself to reach out to Brooks. His phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. I'm sure he's got some great Chris Reineke and Jeremy Jackson stories. He's willing to tell you as well. Uh, Could probably tell you some things about Coach Polk and McMahon while you're talking about making a move up here uh, to Stark Vegas. Be sure and check it out. Make Portico your next move. You know, speaking of former players, uh, one of the best things about going on a book tour and things like that is I get a chance to meet, you know, so many former players, and many of them from a generation or more ago. I had a chance uh, last Friday at the uh, big book release uh, launch party at Bookmart and Cafe downtown. really love those folks and thank them for all they've done for me. Matter of fact, if you, uh, if you see the front page of the Starville Daily News today, you'll see me and the lovely Carolyn Abedie, who is uh, who runs a show down there at Bookmart Cafe. I don't know that I've got better friends in the literary community than her and perhaps John Evans at Lemuria. Uh, but I was at her store, and Benji Carter comes in. And uh, Benji played for us in the late 60s, uh, was part of that Jimmy Bregan team. And uh, he shared some insight, too. It's one of those things, too, it's like, you know, we read this stuff at times and, you know, you don't have a chance to get truly in depth. You know, when you when you write a lot of these stories, and a lot of times these stories are are kind of kept private, and uh, you know, there is some sanctity within the baseball locker room. There's some things that just kind of happen you, you kind of keep together, and so sometimes they share that stuff with me. And you know, a lot of these people now are you know, are dead and gone, or perhaps don't care anymore. You know, they don't mind if their name is mixed up in a story, but uh, you know, he told me some things that just were fascinating to me. And he played left field for the Bulldogs. But what struck me more than anything else, and it's not just Benji, but there are so many of these former players, especially from the era preceding Ron Polk. And that's in no way to diminish the contributions of the Polk era players. Obviously, it's one of the glory phases of Mississippi State baseball. But there were so many others that really kind of laid the foundation for what we enjoy today. And Benji was one of those guys. He absolutely was. And to hear them talk about the players of today and what this national championship means to them guys if it doesn't give you goosebumps I don't know what else will you know there are many people despite the fact that we were very successful in college baseball you know we didn't always have the resources uh, that perhaps some other teams had until we made a real commitment to college baseball and that was really around the time when Paul Gregory was here and Dutch McCool was a big part of that too you know Dutch a former teammate of Paul Gregory's uh, you know, we put lights up at Dirty Noble Field thanks to Dutch McCool. And that's right for, the, for you students, yes, McCool Hall. And it's not named after Dutch, it's named after his parents. And he wanted to honor them and their sacrifice uh, for raising him and obviously helping him get through college. And so he named McCool Hall after his parents. But what is interesting to me, and I think when you read Dogpile, you're going you're gonna to read and see a lot of this stuff. Because of our commitment uh, to baseball, we had a real opportunity to make it special for us. Like maybe we weren't great in football and maybe we were up and down in basketball, but we had something that was kind of uniquely us. And when Dutch McCool gave the money to put those lights up at Duty Noble Field, now all of a sudden the community could come out. Like this is where we huddled as a family it was at Duty Noble Field. The people of the greater Starkville area and the Golden Triangle and many of you that came up from Jackson and other places uh, to be a part of this, when we when it became a night deal, you know, people would get off work and go to the ball game because that's where their friends were. You could bring the kids out there. They could have a good time. And then now it is involved, evolved into this monster that we have today that um, there is that same spirit of community. You know, there are some friends, the only time that I see them is at Duty Noble Field. You know, you kind of keep in touch all year, and then all of a sudden it gets to you baseball season and you see them all the time. Because I know that's where they're going to be, and they know it's where I'm going to be. And there are so many of these uh, former players that have talked about, you know, when you come back and you have a chance to kind of walk out in the concourse and it's some of the same faces, a little more gray hair, a few more pounds, but it's the same faces. And Bobby Thigpen and I talked about that. You know, he said when they came back, you know, for the ring of honor ceremony, you know, he's like, you, you see these people that were there when you were a student, and you recognize the faces, and he goes, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot of their names, but I know who they are. I know exactly what that means. You know, a lot of people, that the only place you see them are duty Noble Field. But you know you're among friends and family. And that's one of the things that uh, is really consistent in the Mississippi State former Diamond Dog, and I guess that's not really fair to call it a former Diamond Dog, a former player, because there are no former Diamond Dogs. That's a lifelong designation. But Benji and I spoke, and I get fascinated by these stories, you know, like, well, this happened and this happened. And, and he was telling me one funny story, and I don't think you'll mind that I share it with you, but uh, it was toward the end of uh, Coach Gregory's tenure here. And uh, we were up 8 nothing in the ballgame, go up a Grand Slam, and he starts hollering for a pitcher to warm up, and nobody moved. And uh, kind of found out the guy hadn't been there in a year. You know, it's like, you know, it's like if we're just trying to get a guy up to go mop up and get, get the game over with. Uh, those kind of things are interesting and uh, I won't tell you the name because I was given this story when I wrote alpha dogs and they wouldn't let me print the story so I'm going to change some of the details it's too good not to share and I won't mention the player's name but let's just say this happened let's say in the late 60s or early 70s and I shared this story with Benji because he knew the people that were involved but one time State's playing a ball game and uh, it got a little nip and talk late and so <laughs> coach Gregory sends a uh, you know, sends a certain player that had a very unique nickname to warm up. It may have been Tom DeArmy. I don't know. They say, hey, go warm up. we got to close the ball game out. And uh, as the outfielders are kind of throwing the ball around out there to kind of keep their arms loose late in the ball game, they look, and lo and behold, our our relief pitcher is sitting out there in the beer garden, which is the precursor to the left field lounge, right? And he's out there with a chili dog and a beer. He's supposed to be warming up. And they're like, hey, you – you're supposed to be warming up. And he goes, well, I will as soon as I finish my beer and my hot dog. So the game kind of goes along and everything else. And the player told me he looked over his shoulder, and as he saw the player go into the bullpen, he, he takes his last swig of his uh, of his Miller Lite <laughs> and goes out there and, and um, warms up. And then they, they bring him in from the bullpen. The guys in the outfield are laughing, you know they don't know what to expect and lo and behold the guy comes in there and gets them one two three and the ball games over so i'm not advocating that we give our our players a chili dog and, and a beer before they go in but it's uh those kind of stories that add so much color to our story as a mississippi state fan base you know it's like there and there's sometimes you know some people will kind of peel the curtain back and they'll say well you know, coach one time did this or said that and a lot of that stuff's not for public consumption but There are so many characters and there are so many personalities and so many families that have been so incredibly invested in Mississippi State baseball. And I think it's important that we continue to recognize them. And I mentioned to you guys too about Chapter 1 in Dog Pile was a big part of that. I wanted every diamond dog that made the pros and every diamond dog that earned All-American status to be named in the book. And, And so I have a few paragraphs about those players because this is not an overnight sensation. This was the thing that was generations in the making. And I think one of the things that we do a great job of is honoring our former players. And I think the, the Ron Polk Ring of Honor is a tremendous thing. And I, I'm going to throw something out here today that I have talked to with some other friends. And uh, I guess in some ways maybe I'm advocating for this. You know, So, John, if you're listening, and maybe if you're a donor or perhaps that you have some surplus income, you're not quite sure what to do, I have the idea for you. I have the perfect idea for you and the perfect idea for Mississippi State and for future generations to come. We need a museum. And I know, well, Steve, we got the Hall of Champions. No, 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 no. That's great. It is. I'm not saying that we have, and Benji and I talked about this, I'm not saying that we have a place that we put some trophies and a place that we do you know media opportunities. We need a place where we can house and display and honor all the great teams that have been here. And I'm talking all the way back to the 1800s. You know, people forget we went undefeated, I guess, what, the first five, six seasons that we were here. You had a player manager. We need to be the first true SEC baseball school that has a museum. And I don't just mean a museum that, um, you know, people just want to come like and see and get their picture made with I think let's make it a tourist attraction. I think it's something that's open every day. I don't think it's just something that we do on game day. I think it's something that, you know, maybe you have some student workers involved, and maybe I'm speaking out of school here, but I think that you need to have this open every single day. I think it's something that you could bring your kids to, like summertime or whatever. You can come by and you can uh, look at it to take field trips here. But we have such a rich history when it comes to baseball, more so than any other sport. And and there are some of you that get irritated with me and say, well, Steve, stop saying we're a baseball school. We're a football school. Well, you know, we love football. We do. We're committed to football. And I I love winning football games. But when you look at our history as an athletic department, dating back to the 1800s, we have primarily been a baseball school. And we are known throughout the nation as a baseball school. And people know, game in, game out, year in, year out, when you play Mississippi State, you better bring a lunch because we're going to play you for all 27 outs. You've got to fight us for nine innings. And I think there are so many of our players, and you guys have heard me say this like it's a punchline, you know, there are so many of our fans sometimes that think we started playing baseball in 1985. We didn't. And that is in no way to disrespect that team. One of the greatest teams to ever wear the uniform. But there were some great players that preceded those guys that are really never get talked about maybe some of us old guys and i say old um, there are a lot of people older than me and i respect the fact that i can have an audience with them and them tell me about these players that perhaps i've only read about you know how many of you young bucks know about willie mitchell do you know who willie mitchell is do you know what willie mitchell did Do you know about his major league career? Did you know at one time he was the most dominant pitcher in the Southeastern Conference? Did the first perfect game in Mississippi State history? Could go out sometimes and throw both the ends of a doubleheader? Do you know about him? Do you know about Sammy Ellis? Do you know about Buddy Meyer? I don't think you do. And I think that's a shame. And I think we need to do that. I think we need to invest – in a museum, and I, I don't know how big it needs to be. And I don't know where we put it, but let's figure it out. I think we need to do something, and maybe because I'm a bit of a Bulldog baseball historian, you know, that I, that I think that this is an opportunity. Maybe it's only interesting to me, but I don't believe so. I think all of you would love to be able to come and see perhaps some memorabilia of Bruce Castoria's home run record-setting year where he has the, hit the national record. 29 home runs. Of course, it's been broken several times since then. Mark McGuire broke it, among others. But Bruce Castoria was one of the most feared hitters in the country, and a lot of our fans today don't know who he is. I asked some trivia questions about he and Mike Kelly this week as part of the Dogpile giveaway on Twitter. You know, Mike Kelly was a walk-on, and I wrote about him and Alpha Dogs. I wrote about both of these guys, uh, Bruce Castoria, Mark Gillespie, Uh, Mike Kelly, Mike Kelly is as nice a guy as you will ever meet. To this day, he holds the school record in single season and career triples and stolen bases. And many of our younger people had no clue who he was. And, And I guess if you've read Alpha Dogs, you know a little bit about him. But we have such a rich heritage when it comes to baseball. And I don't want those guys to be forgotten. Like, you know, John Cohen's the one that told me about Buddy Meyer. I mean, I didn't know a lot about Buddy, and then I've researched him and have even spoken to some people in his family. The guy could probably be in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Nobody's pushing for him, obviously, because, you know, that, that day has passed. But he was a former American League batting champion. He was the stolen base champion. And this is a guy that was, uh, you know, the Dodgers tried to sign him right out of high school. And his mom wanted him to go to college. She worried about him being a little bit being away from home, being so young. And they loved him so much, they signed him to a pro contract and let him play college baseball because they wanted him to be part of their organization. There was no collective bargaining agreement back then. There was no NCAA amateurism committee. So they let him play college ball and get his degree, and then he went and played pro ball. And we talk about the Hank Aaron thing. You guys have seen 42. I think it is one of the most amazing movies of of the modern era. I love that movie. And I I think it's a very important movie. I think a lot of young people today that uh, maybe didn't fully appreciate the things that Jackie Robinson went through. And I don't remember the player's name. I could look it up. But the same player that was a manager that gave Jackie Robinson all that grief, and you know what I'm talking about, that same guy went after Buddy Meyer Because Buddy Meyer was a Jew. And a brawl ensued that went all the way up in the stands and everybody got ejected and suspended and things like that. That guy's a bulldog. That guy is connected to our program. Not the racist guy, but Buddy Meyer. And so, when you think about the history of baseball, especially Southern baseball, that is the history of Mississippi State baseball. So, we have that. And I believe that we should support that and display that proudly. We we talk all the time about you know, facilities and things like that, the fan experience. This is something that I think would really set us apart. You know, I don't know what LSU has down there. I don't know what they've done. Maybe they've done something like this. No clue. No, they're very proud of their program, too, as they should be. But if we did something like this, I begin to think about what when you bring a recruit here and let's say you bring kids to camp and say hey, you guys go over there and, and take the tour and you, and you have somebody go over there, maybe one of the roadrunners, maybe one of the GAs, I don't know. And you take them through this museum, and they can see that we have always been good at baseball. Always. We have had these amazing players that have done amazing things. So let's continue to celebrate them and their accomplishments. Because, they're, again, there are a lot of people that don't know our history. And I'm so proud of our history, and it has been my honor to share so much of that in these books that I've read in the last few years. Let's differentiate ourselves. Let's just go ahead and accept it. Okay, we're a baseball school. Okay, so let's be the best baseball school. Let's be the best baseball school. Other people are like, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to change the sight lines, and we're going to start using air poppers for our popcorn. Cool. You go do all that. We're going to go build a museum that shows, hey, we're not a Johnny-come-lately. We're not new money in college baseball. We are the story of Southern College baseball. We We were the school in the South, college baseball, long time before you guys uh, committed to it. Many of you still had chicken wire fences, and we were packing in people by the thousands to watch a midweek game. So this is who we are. Let's be proud of it. Let's puff our chest out a little bit. And I think now that we've gotten the NAFL championship, maybe perhaps we can find the funding. Maybe we can find some donations uh, to make this thing a reality. And, again, maybe this only makes sense to me. But my hope is you guys will get behind this. And maybe some other people uh, at Mississippi State that are decision makers to say, you know what, Steve's right, let's do this. And I don't need to be getting any credit for it. I just want to see this thing happen because I want to see so many of our former players honored and respected for generations to come. You know, when when you hear the name Brantley Jones, I want some eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old ball player to say, yeah, Brantley Jones, I saw him in a museum at Mississippi State. I saw that he was the greatest pitcher in the Southeastern Conference in 1970. And I saw the exploits of Mike Prophet, who had to go pitch in the regionals in Gastonia without our two best pitchers. Now he nearly pitched us to Omaha. You know, those are, the, those are the stories that need to be told. And uh, I'm a firm believer in it. And uh, whatever I need to do to help champion his cause, I'm happy to do it. And I think many of you will feel like I do too. That this is something that needs to happen, and I'm not saying, you know, and maybe you got to pay a couple bucks to get in and whatever, and go to it, and you're and you're going to do it. You'll be happy to do it. I think that could be something that is unique about the Mississippi State baseball experience that um, that we showcase regularly, and not just something that uh, you know, like you know, you know, like even the Hall of Champions. I mean, you, you can't get access to it. I mean, especially all the COVID stuff, you know. But as as this thing begins to wane for us, I think let's be forward thinking here. What separates us from other people? It's not just our fan base, and it's not just our stadium. It is our commitment to cherish our history on the baseball diamond. And that's how I see it. Let's get out of here. I'm going to be at Maroon and Company today from 3 to 6, signing books for Ember uh, and the lovely staff there. And then I will be at Lemuria Books Saturday, 12 to 2, and then Persnickety, 2.30 to 4.30. Come out and say hello And uh, get some dog pile books. And a reminder, too, if you have already ordered, it is being taken care of. And uh, I know a lot of people contact me because I don't know who else to contact. Listen, it's okay. It's okay. I will put you in contact with the people you need to. People are always so apologetic. Hey, Steve, I hate to bother you. And that's really nice. It really is. And, yeah, I'm a busy guy, too, but you're important to me. So I don't want you to feel like oh, well, Steve's out here signing all these books, and he didn't care about my one book. Guys, to this day, I have not collected a dime on this because until you guys get your books, I don't feel right about spending your money. And so until this is handled, and of course we're a few days away from getting all this stuff done, um, you'll be good to go. And so you guys are important to me. Don't ever think that you're bothering me. Uh, and there are times, yeah, I get a little irritated, but I don't, I don't ever tell you. I just kind of handle things. And so uh, as things kind of progress, we get this thing done Uh you know you'll be glad you got the book and let me go ahead and tell you too there's some imperfections in the book nothing that changes the story but there's some things in layout that happened and that's the beauty of the first edition you're going to read some things you're like hey wait a minute what's what's this up here you know it's it's no big deal we're going to fix it matter of fact we've already found some 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 things that you may not notice that we've got to fix and uh the second printing that's already being lined up that's going to be several thousand books and um There's a really good chance we're going to run out of books before the second printing gets here because they do what's called a short run in the beginning because you don't want to go print 20,000 books with an error in it, right? So you do that in the first edition, and then you fix them in subsequent printings. And so that process is ongoing. So in the event, let's say we run out of books sometime in the middle of March, we're going to have some books for you around the end of April. So uh, maybe first part of May. But just just be patient with us, and uh, we're going to keep our normal vendors fully stocked as long as we can but you guys have uh, bought this book with such uh, tremendous vigor, there is a real concern that we're going to run out of books before the second printing gets here. Uh, I joked with the guys yesterday, I said, this is like my Tickle Me Elmo Popeye's Chicken Sandwich book. Uh, I dreamed of days like this, and you guys have been so incredibly supportive, and I love you all for it and uh, worked really hard on this book and uh, looking forward to writing some more. And uh, I joked with Scott Foxhall just yesterday, when we win it again, we already have a title. It's dogs won again. There we go. Dogs won again. I look forward to writing that book. Maybe it's this year. Who knows? But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.